Hi everybody, you probably are hearing a bit of uh, background noise and I don't know if you have been with us from the very beginning, many years ago in 2019 we had a, a special episode live from the ECMIC Congress, the European Congress for Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases. And today we are back with another live episode, a special episode from ECMID. Last time I was alone in that quest, but this time our co-host Ellen is also here. So Ellen, how is it going? It's going great. I'm really enjoying myself. It's so big though, it's a bit overwhelming with all the, with all the companies and all the talks, but so far it's really fun. Yes, uh, talking about big, I kind of asked around and I think there are 15,000 registered participants between the people at the companies and the people at the uh, scientific program. I think there are around 6,000 posters, so it is a bit massive. Uh, as last time, it is kind of difficult to decide what to go and see, um, but uh, Ellen and I have perhaps different priorities in what to what sessions to go and see and we thought just to share with you every day a little bit of what, what we have learned so Ellen can you tell us what have you learned on the sessions today yes yeah, so I was at a very interesting session with UCOST they basically set the breakpoints clinical breakpoints for AST testing so when at which MIC value the bacteria is redeemed to be resistant or susceptible so they had a very long session, it was very interesting, but they had one speaker who talked about genotyping bacteria to determine which treatment to use, which might be something that we have been talking for before, but it was just very eye-opening to me, because it can be very hard, you know, when you have a lot of bacteria that expresses different enzymes, and you don't see that on the plate, on the phenotype, you need a genotype to know. It was just very, it was cool. So a kind of different perspective for you on this uh, diagnosis in a sense, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for me, this morning I decided to go to a case study session, which I haven't been before. And case studies are normally presented when there is not a lot of opportunity for clinical trials, for example. And in this case, it was clinical cases on the use of phage to treat very hard to treat infections. And the thing that I learned is that it actually works better than I expected it would work. It's still very hard. There are no clinical trials because it's kind of difficult in the regulatory part of actually making it in a way that is standardized. But the cases that they were presenting, they were working. They were infections that were recurring, infections that were mostly based on biofilms, which were very difficult to treat. People suffering from these infections for years. And when they decide to use phages in this compassionate way, which is there's nothing else to do for these patients, let's try these phages, they're able to find phages uh, one, two, three, making cocktails of phages, and what they actually see is if you use the phages together with antibiotics, you can get much more better results. So a little bit like a synergy type of effect. And these people, I mean, of course, these are individual cases. We, it's a kind of like just yes, stories of it. But I thought it was very powerful that for certain kind of infections, recurrent infections, surgical side infections you can actually maybe really use these phages to treat them. So that was absolutely cool just to see a big gruesome. There were a lot of photos of a lot of infected limbs and stuff, but it was very interesting to see that this is a possibility in the future. And I hope that we can solve the regulatory hurdles and be able to use these for the people that need them. 
that sounds really cool actually. I'm a little sad that I missed that session. And then now in the afternoon I went to a session on restoring healthy microbiota. So we know quite a lot about the microbiota in our guts and what I learned is that it seems the microbiota in the respiratory tract is also important for some diseases that we know, for example, um, cystic fibrosis, we know is a respiratory tract infection, recurrent infection, chronic, something that they live their whole lives. But it, it seems like also the microbiota plays a role in other chronic infections like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease that happens, for example, in people that have um, smoke their whole lives. They, they have started to see that maybe it's an immune-based disease perhaps. They still cannot say what is cause and what is consequence. So is it that you smoke and then the microbiota gets affected and then there is host responses? Or because you smoke, there is host responses that then affects the microbiota. But these uh, are things that, you know, for the future to kind of study, see what's going on. And it was cool. I was able to see people I haven't seen in like a year, two years, running around. It's massive, but it's actually super interesting and I can, uh, I'm looking forward to what we will see on the next days. Yeah, I agree. And from what I can tell regarding the microbiome, that is very trending right now. It's been a lot about the microbiome, and I think that is something we will for sure see more of in the future. So what are you going to see now in the end of the day? Oh, now at the end of the day, good question. I actually don't know. Just I am thinking of just, you know, spontaneously slip into one session and see what's going on to get some new perspectives. That's cool. I think in five minutes I'm going to go to a session on... Uh, what is shared and maybe not shared between animals, humans and the environment when it comes to resistance. I think that might be actually good. It's a two-hour session. I don't know if I can stay away for that long, but I'm going to try. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Cool. Well, see you tomorrow then, Erlene again. Yeah, see you tomorrow. Here we are at the second day of ECMID. Maybe today is a little bit less busy around us. Hopefully you can hear us a little bit better. We're sitting here again at the end of the late afternoon. Still not the end of the day though. Kind of catching up to see what is it that we learned and what attended today. So Ellie, how is the day going? The day is going great, I think. It's been a lot of interesting sessions, a lot of interesting talks. Uh, very, yeah, I feel happy. Nice, yeah, I want to... I think today for me was very varied. So far I attended three different sessions, I still want to go. And I went to some things related with policy and implementation, some things much more natural, hardcore science on novel resistance mechanisms and uh, how can we use data from bacteria in different ways, like the omics, so the, the era of omics, so genomics, metagenomics, transcriptomics, metabolomics, all this, and it's a lot of... Um, you know, more how we can taper into this amount of data and make something out of it. So what were the topics of the things you, you went to today? Yeah, so I actually had quite a lot of talks when, when we looked at, like, I mean, within the field we are in, there are a lot of things that is not working and a lot of problems. But I feel like today I went to a lot of sessions where we talked about things that is actually working and seeing data from things that, like, oh, this is actually good. And that made me very happy. So I was at one session when we talked about um, recently approved antibacterials in real life. 
So for last, I think it's 10 years now that counts as the new, newly developed drugs. And we have some, especially cefidurocol, that is quite new and has been a very hot topic lately. It's quite newly approved. It's um, cytophore cephalosporin, which is cool. So it has like this, it tricks the iron uptake in the bacterial cells. Uh, like a Trojan horse? I yeah, think. actually I think uh, I went through the company's uh, area and there is a company that sells Cefiderocol and their little logo is like a horse, I think. Actually I was like, oh yeah, and then I thought about how Cefiderocol works. I was like, yeah, of course, it's like a Trojan horse because it's kind of hiding behind one thing and then it comes into the cell it's like kaput, supposedly. It's kind of cool that you mentioned that because I went to a session on Nobel resistance mechanisms and there was a woman that was presenting her work in the US looking into potential heteroresistance to cefiderocol on carbapenemase producing acinetobacter baumani, which sounds very scary to me because these are extremely drug resistant strains that you know we cannot really use anything. Cefiderocol comes in, we can use this. And they still see these this satellite microcolonies that you know they seem to be resistant to cefiderocol and it was about they're looking into how this mechanism might actually be working uh, that was kind of interesting and cool to attend to. Yeah, you come here and dull my sparkle with all the happy future stuff and then you take up the resistance. But yeah, that is very interesting. And I feel like here, that is, that is it, having so many parallel sessions, you get to see maybe different perspectives of some stuff. But of course, obviously, we have to get new things out there. If we get resistance to them, which we will, because we know bacteria will always win, in a mm. sense, uh, it's also cool to see how this is actually working. Mm. Where else have you kind of learned today? There was a talk about new drugs against gram negatives, which was very interesting. There is a lot of options out there, a lot of stuff in both phase one, two and three clinical trials. So that is promising, I think. One very specific but very fun thing was that one combination of two beta-lactamase inhibitors are now used in um, Acinetobacter bumani. So it's two inhibitors together, which is kind of fun because usually it's a beta-lactam and a beta-lactamase inhibitor. Mm-hmm. So a different kind of combination in this Yeah. That's cool. Um, I really enjoyed the session I went on the morning, which was, as I said, more about the policy. And uh, I think it was cool because it was about what can we learn from the things that we have worked on. And they, it has worked on the quest of TB and HIV in terms of like action and reaction and, and maybe political engagement and civil society engagement. And it was mostly about the need for coordinated diagnostic networks. Apparently that has worked very well for other uh, global health infectious diseases efforts. So we are still lacking in that in AMR, especially in many parts of the world. We talk about this often. So it was about maybe we should not be looking into the most shiny and most uh, innovative and crazy diagnostic in terms of technology, but most about how can we integrate it in, in a network that works. How can we study and see where do we need to put those diagnostic texts for them to be used. And one concept that I thought it was really cool, it's the diagnostic yield rather than the diagnostic accuracy in a sense. So they were talking that for TB, sputum is a way that you can test for TB, right? But in many patients, maybe you cannot get a good sample of sputum. So you could test for TB using urine sample and getting the urine sample is much easier. So even if how well it works, the test on urine, even if it's 
um, less than the sputum to, to really test for TB, mm -hmm. but you have more people that are able to take the test, then that's a better test. And I had not really thought about that concept when it comes to AMR, it could also be applied. So how can we do a test that uses the thing that we can get from the most amount mm -hmm. of people, right? That's a very good point. Usability. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, and another thing that I, I just wanted to point out because it's super fresh in my head. I just came out of the, this novel, Mechanisms of Resistance Session. Apparently there is this thing called the candidate phyla radiation, which is a group of bacteria that we don't know so much about because they are bacteria that cannot be cultured and it's bacteria that has only kind of been kind of halfway seen using metagenomics. And they are a special kind of bacteria because they seem to lack some of the normal genes that other bacteria might have. We don't know so much about them, so it's kind of like a bit of a mystery. And uh, there was this guy that was looking into a lot of genomes or metagenomes of these because you cannot culture them, obviously, and looking into the presence of uh, resistant genes, so kind of like the resistome of this Phyla, uh, phylogenetic group of bacteria, and they found a lot of um, beta-lactamases, and it was a big investigation about the kind of beta-lactamases, are they similar to the beta-lactamases we see in other kind of bacteria, and uh, it was uh, interesting work, obviously, I, I think about, you know, the next step, is this mm. relevant for clinical relevant strains, I was even thinking, like, are these bacteria known to maybe be be infectious or do they actually are see if they are so small and they lack some genes are they actually maybe uh, parasites of other bacteria I don't know it's like it's a cause I have never heard about it it's called candidate phyla radiation maybe out there if you guys didn't really hear about it you can look into it because it's actually evolutionarily speaking pretty interesting and it sounds terrifying like <laughs> ghost bacteria uh, actually a little bit like this and they're actually mini bacteria or something nanobacteria they call it i don't know it was it was cool i was there like with my phone like googling more about it because the guy just presented it as like okay this is the bacteria i work with i was like i never heard about that kind of bacteria what is this that is so cool <laughs> yes but other than that i'm gonna take a 10 minute break hopefully i can get a coffee somewhere yeah um, yeah go to the companies and try to <laughs> find the baristas yeah yes and uh, go on on the next session which is an integrated symposium uh, i think about amr looking to amr and the future Ooh. so what can we do today to prevent that things get a bit worse so it sounds interesting on the title we'll see how it's delivered yeah okay well see you tomorrow then on the yes. third day thank you for today bye <laughs>
presentation of cases where they flipped it around and they were discussing what could have we been done differently so we wouldn't end up with this result in a patient because there was a lot of stuff about uh, secondary infections so if you, they come and they have an operation and then they get an infection on the surgical site at the hospital, so can we have done something different? Is there anything related with also catheterization? Um, so it was kind of very cool to see the detective work. So yeah, like, like a connection to reality also, how it actually happens in the clinics, how they work, what they do. Yes, That's exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, I also had uh, a session a little bit linked more to reality, really. Uh, it was about pan resistance. So they discussed a lot about cephalidocol, of course. That's the hot thing right now, resistance in cephalidocol. So what was pan resistance? What did they mean by that? So like, I guess what they mean by that is um, multiple resistance, I guess. I'm not completely sure, actually, what the term stands for now when you say it. The session was mainly about they had identified different resistance mechanisms against very, like, relevant antibiotics, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. basically. And it was very interesting. They had a case, actually, with a man who was very sick and treated with very many different antibiotics, and then they tried cefidirocol. Yeah. And then it turned out that the test, the suitability testing for cefidirocol is not optimal, I think. Uh -huh, I've understood okay, from so this. I, what I, from these studies, I don't know mm -hmm. how it looks overall, mm -hmm. but in this mm -hmm. case, they were using a batch of tests that were inaccurate, so he was wrongly diagnosed and then oh. had major consequences. Oh. And there were also other talks about cefidirocol and how it's hard to, to link the disc diffusion test with the BMD and that they didn't match. This was in Acinetobacter bomani, but it, it was very interesting. Oh, that's cool. I think cefidirocol can be tricky to work with. Oh, apparently, yes. I went after, no, before lunch even, like things just melt in my brain right now. We mm. have been through so many things. I went to a session on resistance mechanisms to phage therapy. Like I commented on day one, I was on a session with the real cases use of phages. So this is more about research done to try to understand how bacteria actually become resistant to this phage treatment. And apparently resistance can come up as quick as a few hours as after wow. starting to use it. So that's why also phages are using cocktails with different phages. So if there's kind of quick resistance of development to one, the other one can still work. Mm -hmm. So this was two talks, one about more possible coevolution between the bacteria and the phage and if the phage can also coevolve the resistance that has been evolving in the bacteria and also if we can actually use in vitro data to inform in vivo possible data mm -hmm. on the resistance to phages when phages are used in the clinics. So that was cool. And then the second talk was massive about all the possible mechanisms that bacteria might have to counteract uh, phages attacking them, both from like community level of bacteria together fighting against these uh, phages to single cell, like just bacteria individually, what they can do. And of course, CRISPR is one of these mm. things that are there. But apparently bacteria can also use quorum sensing, which is kind of the conversational way that bacteria can communicate to each other. Uh, by molecules and sensing, they can use it to uh, incite some state that might make them resistant to phages. So it was pretty cool. Cool. <laughs> I think we repeat a lot the word cool, but that's yeah, the but it's a lot of cool science here. That's why you're here, yeah, really. Yeah. Phages, that's up and coming. Or maybe it's, it's been big for a while. Yeah. It's very cool. As for we sure. Said.
Uh, but why was today fun, Ellen? Well, Eva, <laughs> we actually participated in an escape room, an yes. infection-based escape room. Yes, that was uh, a ride. Yeah, right? it was. It was intense, but so much fun. I think the setting was that you were in a lab where uh, infection broke out and people started to get sick. Exactly. So it was a team of researchers that went to the Arctic to study the permafrost. Yeah, the Arctic. And something kind of came out of the permafrost, and they started to get very sick and then we uh, were tasked with going in and uh, check all the clues and things around to try to find what it is that it was infecting these people but most importantly to kind of give a possible treatment yeah exactly right? there were plates everywhere and vials and what sequences was the most fun theme for your team you think from inside now that we can talk about it because Actually, yeah, has finished. Mm, you know, when mm. we publish this, we can talk about the escape room. They were like very clear. Don't talk to anybody about this. Don't put it in Twitter. Don't don't put it <laughs> out there. So like, no, no. After Ekmet. Mm. So what was the most fun thing? Do you think? Oh, the most fun. I think we had a lot of fun with the sequences. So you got paper with like possible sequences for I don't know different pathogens maybe or mm. or just random. Yeah, random. random yeah. Know. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun trying to figure out what that was. And I mean, the funnest part with escape really is running around finding things, finding isn't things, it? Like yeah. And discussing clues and trying to write on the board what is happening, what's going on. Yeah, true. It was kind of fun when we were going to go in. The guy that gave us instructions was like, just so you know, you don't need to climb or anything. You don't need to break anything in order to find the clues and solve the stuff. And I was like, who would want to break something yeah, here? True. But then when I was inside, I could understand because there were so many different mm. furniture and places with stuff like that. But it was cool. I think I got a bit frustrated at how much decoy themes they were. Yeah, agree. Like all these images, there were images that you didn't need to use at no. all in the end. And all these plates with extra bugs mm. that didn't really end up anywhere. Mm. And but overall, I think it was nice. Um, I think for today, the fastest team did it in 35 minutes. Yeah. I don't really know how they could do it that, that quickly. That was quick, for real. But uh, Impressive. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to know who they are. Yeah, exactly. So if you listen to this and you were the one doing the Ekmit Escape Room 2023 in 35 minutes, please contact us so we can talk about how you guys did it. Yes. <laughs> that was cool. Uh, all right, then I guess uh, this is uh, for today. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go to one more session, two hours on communications, team dynamics, and patient involvement in antimicrobial stewardship, just Ooh. to see what people are doing when it comes to training people. I think that's pretty cool, and maybe think about what kind of research can be done on these kind of communication efforts. That would be nice. Yeah. And after that, I think it's just uh, having fun with some colleagues, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I'm gonna sneak out to the sun right now and take the, <laughs> take the <laughs> afternoon off. I feel like I need to, you know, let things process a bit. That is true. Yeah, get them to ferment inside us. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect, well then, Ellen, I'll see you tomorrow for the last day of Eggmeat. See ya. Hello everyone, we're coming live from the train on our way home now from Ekmigd. Eva, how are you feeling? Last day, I kind of feel happy that it's the last day <laughs> and that we're on our way back. Um, beautiful spring weather, mm. um, it was so nice to sit here and get the sun through the window and uh, we went out through Copenhagen to have some lunch before taking the train and it really felt like the end of Ekmigd means the beginning of the spring kind mm. of thing. So it was nice. Um, 
how was your morning? Did you go to any talks today? Yeah, we had, I only went to a couple, we left at lunch, but I saw an amazing talk about biosensor and continuous monitoring of antibiotics or other drugs. So what is a biosensor? So biosensor is a device that, you know, like for diabetes, you can have mm -hmm. biosensors for glucose, I guess. Mm -hmm. You're monitoring your glucose levels continuously. And the idea was to do this with biosensor, but then for antibiotics instead, to be able to optimize the dosing for patients. Huh, yeah, it's very interesting. I, uh, I went to the session at the end of the session because I wanted to see the talk by one of our PIs, mm -hmm. your boss, Thomas Nagden. <laughs> so that was nice. And I saw that there were going to be some other talks about how can we make antibiotic treatment as precise as possible mm. so we can help the patients better but also we can waste as little as mm. possible antibiotics right so that's mm. kind of nice and what were the results about using biosensor does it work is it feasible yeah i mean i think they're still in the like they're still trying it out and it's a very new technique i think but if i caught it correctly there have been trials and i've seen it working in patients uh, and this the uh, the person speaking said that this was probably in a five to ten year future, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. if you can dream. And then she mentioned the possibility of, this is way in the future, but the possibility of how biosensors that like communicate with the dosing of antibiotics. So you have a loop, a continuous loop of monitoring and dosing. So it's connected kind of to the device that is intravenously mm. giving out the... The antibiotic. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like an automated yeah. thing, right? Like, and I mean, this is a far, far yeah. ahead scenario, but imagine that would have been so cool. I also want to add that the talk by my supervisor was also very good. <laughs> he also it was did nice. very he's good. A, he's a very good speaker. Yeah. He's so clear. And mm. I think the work that they're doing here with uh, looking into implementing uh, personalized medicine and mm. drug monitoring into also stewardship programs, mm. it's really important because you kind of have to work all that together you know how do you mm. introduce these new ways of looking at uh, treatment yeah. into the already available guidelines of how yeah. you use antibiotics and uh, it's a great team that he's working with yeah, obviously for sure. and i mean when i talk when he talks about it like yeah we have this standard dosing one dosing for everyone it doesn't make any sense really right. people are so different and how we're working now against getting individualized dosing, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. After that talk, I went to a session on antibiotic shortages, mm. because if it's not enough that we have problems with resistance, that means that, you know, we cannot just use the antibiotic. There is also a lot of problem, um, not only in low income countries, with just access to the antibiotics, mm. which we talk often about excess versus access, you know, we use too much of something and there's not enough of some other things mm. some places. But uh, apparently antibiotic shortages uh, are affecting the whole world in different ways and there are a lot of challenges and different steps where these shortages happen. It could be at the very beginning because there are just few places that supply the raw material needed to make these antibiotics. Then down the supply chain, there is only few countries that actually make the active uh, pharmaceutical ingredient and then down 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 the line antibiotics is not a sexy area manufacturers are going out of it uh, it seems like antibiotics are a class of drugs that are very susceptible to suffer from shortages and there are actual consequences of these shortages when it comes to treating people um, uh, not being able to go with uh, stewardship programs because you don't have the things you want to use available, all these things. So there were a couple of talks by people at GARP mm. that were very, very interesting. Mm. Uh, before we sign off 
for from this road and journey <laughs> to Copenhagen and Egmit, I actually wanted to plug in another podcast. Yeah. Because yesterday I saw a guy around Egmit with a big microphone, bigger than our microphone, <laughs> and I was like, "This is a fellow podcaster, I'm sure." So I was talking to him, and uh, we just chat a little bit, and they actually have a podcast on infectious diseases. That's so cool. So the podcast is infectious disease inside of two specialists, which short for IDIOTS, or also known as idiots, I guess, <laughs> if you read it directly. And uh, it's Callum and James who just talk about everything that you need to know to diagnose, treat infections. And it's aimed at doctors, clinicians, staff working in the UK in particular. But I think this could be also interesting for other people in our network, perhaps. So if you are interested in checking out this podcast, go to the show notes and and tune in I guess yeah for sure cool any uh, last notes for our listeners in this special live episode just want to say thank you for tuning in and follow us on this trip yes and the ECMID journey it's been amazing and for next year in ECMID in Barcelona if you happen to be there just uh, write to us write on Twitter somewhere I'm sure that we're going to be able to meet with any of you there yes see you on the next episode see you